Good morning, everyone. It's great to be together this morning. We're going to continue on uh, with our series, Ordinary People. And uh, as we were just talking about uh, who was going to speak and when we were going to speak, Neil said to me, uh, maybe you could come up with something prophetic, since uh, that's usually what you do for uh, ordinary people. Uh, so I haven't anything prophetic to bring this morning. Uh, I've, in the middle of it, I just felt like God was telling me one thing that uh, he wanted me to bring this morning about being ordinary people. And the next morning it was confirmed several times through exactly what I was reading. And so this morning um, in the Ordinary People series, what I've entitled uh, what I'm going to share is moving from ordinary to extraordinary. Does anybody want to be extraordinary or extraordinary? Is that two separate words? Who's good at English here? I thought you were putting your hand up there, Amy. Uh, I want to be extraordinary, but led by the Spirit of God. And so this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to share a few thoughts that I've been writing down over the last couple of weeks about how to do that. And as following on from last week, as Neil talked about reconciliation, about how uh, I think Neil failed on Monday morning, first thing, didn't he? And then I failed, and then Neville failed, and... We all failed and said, right, let's start again. We're going to, be, we're going to practice what, uh, Neil told, what Neil preached to us uh, about how to be kind to each other, about how to keep each other accountable, and so on. If you missed that, uh, please listen to it on, uh, on the podcast or on Facebook. And so I believe this morning there's a key. There's one key thing in us moving from being ordinary people, or, or Paul's favorite word, ordinary folk, to extraordinary folk and it's found in this it's found in unity it's so simple unity with God leading to unity with each other and I believe uh, that unity is the devil's kryptonite unity is the devil's kryptonite it's what weakens him it's what puts him off it's, what's, it's what sucks its power, uh, his power completely out of him because if you think about it we, we are told that you will know us by our love. And what comes out of love? Only unity. Think of a marriage. Think of a good marriage. Now, I love Nicola. Don't always get on. Maybe have we fight. Maybe have a disagreement. Maybe she's right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe she's wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But in the middle of it, especially when the kids come in with something, you're united. You come together in unity. And ultimately, it's because you love. As you love one another, it unites your heart. And so the purpose of the church, the bride, is to be united together and united by Christ. And so 66 times, um, 66 times in the New Testament alone, it talks about unity. 94 times it uses the phrase one another in the New Testament alone. 60% of those one another's were written by Paul about the church. One third of them point directly to the church as a body together. One third of them talk about how to love each other and 15% of those point to humility. And so the first thing that is key to unity is unity with the Father, unity with the Holy Spirit, unity with the Son, because we're co-workers. We get to get our hands dirty. We get to get in on this thing that he is doing um, in our communities. And Mark 3, verse 14 to 15 uh, it says this, he appointed the 12 whom he named apostles. 
He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends so that he could send them out to preach and have authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. Now, the King James says that he appointed them to be with him. The New Living Translation says that he asked them to accompany him. But if you go right back to the original, this is what it translates as, continually be by my side. And it makes more sense. If you were born back 2,000 years ago, nobody here born 2,000 years ago, sure there's not. A rabbi would have taken you on and you would have been continually with them to learn every single bit of their life, not just how they read the scriptures, but how they put them into practice, how they lived their lives. Every single detail was taught and passed down to you. And so Jesus in this verse was saying, I want you to be continually by my side because I want to teach you everything, everything that I know. And as you're with me, there's a purpose in it. The purpose is that I'm going to send you out and you're going to tell others what I have told you. You're going to share what you've been given and you're going to do it together. And I love, whenever you read into this a bit deeper, it shows that as we spend time with the Father, as we're united with him, it gives us inward power, inward strength, inward boldness, which leads to outward action. And what it promises at the end of verse 15 is that you will have power. Notice it comes not as they're spending time with Jesus, but as they outwork what Jesus has put into them, power starts to come upon them. And it shows me that this thing cannot be done in isolation. It cannot be done in your own room. Yes, you can have inward power. You're filled with the Spirit. He gives you dreams. He gives you ideas. But you have to practically put your foot out the door, engage with people, give away what you have. And in that, as you start with a little, God starts to open your mind and open your eyes and give you vision and see people before you healed and see people before you encounter Jesus through you as you're imminently filled in your unity with the Father and your unity with each other. And so unity with the Father causes us to think outwardly and demonstrate it to those around us. And I believe it starts in here with the church. The second one then, it leads to unity with one another. And so Acts 4, I want to read this first. And the context of Acts 4 is that the leaders of the, the religious law have called together Peter and John because they healed the lame man at the gate beautiful. And they're saying, how dare you do this? What do you think you guys are up to displaying this power? Where do you get this power from? And uh, Peter, of course, and John came up with these eloquent words to describe what they were doing. And the response by these religious leaders was this. The members, and this Acts 4 verse 13, New Living Translation says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The Passion Translation says, The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. And lastly, the Voice Translation says this, Now the leaders were surprised and confused. They looked at Peter and John and realized they were typical peasants, uneducated, utterly ordinary fellows with an extraordinary confidence. The leaders recognized them as companions of Jesus. And see, as I read that this morning, I started to tear up and I thought, you know what? I long for people to look at me and say, I recognize that you have been with Jesus. 
You don't need to say a word. I recognize that you have been with Jesus. Notice that word with. It's so simple that as the disciples were with Jesus, when they had spent time with him, it had to come out. What they were feeding on came out of the overflow of their mouth. And just like the 12 disciples, that's the plan that he has for us to pour into each other in unity as we have been with the Father. It will come out in our relationships. There will be fruit of that relationships. Just like I have four children, that's the fruit of my relationship. That's evidence. There is fruit that comes out as you spend time in relationship with the Father and with one another. And that is what moved these 12 men from ordinary to extraordinary. That's what made the religious zealots of the day sit back and go, my goodness, how can these ordinary people have such zeal and passion and knowledge? They must have been with Jesus. And so for me, they had something in common binding them together. Does anybody know what brought the disciples together? Because they were a band of misfits and nobodies, they still were after this. But before they were all over the place, they had nothing to bind them together. What bound them together? Does anybody know? It was the cross. Yes, points pastor. It was Jesus. But it was ultimately the cross. Jesus dying and rising again, which led to this boldness of Peter and John being, do you know what? Because of what he has done for me, this is what we are going to do in response. Guys, let's get together. Do you not see what Jesus just done on the cross for us? We cannot continue on as we have been. And Peter went from this way, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus too. Do you know what? I know I love him. I have spent time with him and I am not afraid to say it. Who wants a bit of that? And so that comes in unity with the Father, unity with each other, but that is founded on the cross. It is sealed, it is finished. The foundations are Jesus Christ crucified and that's where it starts and it ends. The gospel. They were men that were known around the throne, but maybe not by men. And this morning, I don't care if men know who David McBride is as long as I am known at the feet of Jesus, as long as I am known around the throne. That is what matters to you and to me. And so we all have the cross in common. We all have sin in common. And Timothy Keller says this, he states that we must go back again and again to the gospel of Christ crucified so that our hearts are more deeply gripped by the reality of what he did and who we are in him. He is what makes us complete. He is that which makes us one. And he continues on in a later chapter, he says, fellowship with Christ is a sufficient basis for fellowship with one another. We must never exclude someone who God has included in his people, but equally fellowship comes with Christ Fellowship uh, with Christ is the only basis for fellowship with one another. Churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. And so that unity comes in truth with each other, honesty with each other, accountability, integrity. All these things come with unity. And we'll go a wee bit deeper into it later on. And so there's no place with the foundation of the cross And with the thing that binds us together being the cross and Jesus Christ crucified, dying and rising again for our sins, tearing the curtain in two, it's a whole other sermon. We'll get it at Easter. With that as our foundation, why the silly arguments? Why the petty fights? 
Why the nonsense? There is too much at stake in this community alone for us to bicker and fight and not get on with each other in church. Do you understand me? That's what I'd say if it was my kids. Do you understand? Do you grasp the enormity of that? The fact that people out there are lost, okay, take away hell. They still do not have purpose in life, even if there was no hell. They still have no purpose in life. But you know what? There is. There is heaven and hell. But that's not the way we approach it. We approach it with, do you know what? Do you want to live life in fullness? Do you want to have hope and joy and peace? Well, let me introduce you to someone who can give you that. It's me, because he lives within me. Hope you're not timing this. And so we have been given a gift, and that gift is grace. And that gift of grace is lived out in community. How can you have grace if you're living by yourself? Grace is for us to come together, to put offenses aside, and say, do you know what? Because of the cross, grace. I'm willing to overlook it. I want to put that aside because I see more in you. And so whether we like it or not, we all have religious beliefs. We all have customs. We all have practices that we put on other people that we expect other people to live up to. We all class ourselves in personality groups, in hobbies, in race, in class, whatever it may be. We all do it. We may carry frustration if we are poor and we see the rich. We may carry frustration if we are rich and we see the poor. Why can't you be like me? We may carry frustration because we look down at others who are less talented than us, but the church says, you know what, you're equal. We may feel uncomfortable around those people who are socially awkward. There's nobody in here socially awkward, sure there's not. I'll look at the roof when I'm saying this. (laughs) And the socially awkward may look at everyone else thinking, what's wrong with you? We may be polite to people on a Sunday, but we do not ever eat with them. We don't invite them into our homes. We only become friends on a Sunday because we don't socialize with them. We keep our relations formal to a Sunday and to our meetings because somehow we can't see that we are all wonderfully unique, but wonderfully called to be one. And so sometimes... Division, which the devil wants, can creep into our lives, our homes, and our churches. And without the gospel, we cannot be one. Without the gospel at the center of our relationships, we can't be one. Galatians 3.28 says this, And we no longer see each other in our formal state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we are all one through our union with Jesus Christ, with no distinctions between us. We are all equal in his eyes. And so, you know, the gospel has radical implications. It means that I am a Christian before I am anything else. Everything I do is filtered through the fact that I am a Christian who the gospel is the central part of my life. It means that all barriers that separate people in the world should not separate us. It means that we're not all identical, but we're extraordinarily different extraordinarily different. That's the word. Look at the disciples. Look what happened, these band of misfits. And it says in the Bible, we're not supposed to call people idiots, but sometimes as you read the New Testament, you think, oh my goodness, guys, can you not just get this? But after the cross, these men came together in power and unity to change and conquer the world. 
And so the gospel, it has to lead to unity. Why? Because we have privileges. The privileges of the Holy Spirit, the privilege of righteousness, the privilege of sonship. And that surpasses anything that this earth can give us. And it's all because of our union with Jesus Christ. So in the middle of this, why and how can I be jealous of someone else? How can I harbor anger? How can I have fear if I am a son of God? And I know we've heard this over and over, ladies. But this week as I was reading this, I was reading a part and it said, don't get offended. Why? Because this was a radical statement by Paul. Because only sons could inherit the father's inheritance. And so Paul was blowing it all out of the water, all traditions, all religion. And he was saying, ladies, you have as much right to the inheritance of the Father as anyone else. And I think this is key right now because there's a call on our ladies in this church that has been going over and over that you're to stand up in your inheritance and to claim it and to use it and to be bold. And so we are sons. And that's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel that brings us together, but also the bad news. Also the bad news of the gospel, which is heaven and hell. It compels us to come together for the sake of the lost. It compels us to come together in unity, putting all things aside and giving away this precious gift of grace. And so a practical question. Throughout the day, I would love you to do this. I'd like you to stop whenever you respond or wherever you speak or something you do or a thought that you have and say, am I behaving like a slave or a son? Am I behaving like a slave or a son? In light of the cross and what Jesus has done for me, am I behaving like a slave or a son? And where in my life most do I behave like that? Where do you behave like that the most? The second question is this. Where is my response or attitude or heart not reflecting the fact that I'm a son? And thirdly, what bridges do you need to build or mend today? Or maybe there's some walls that need to come down before you build or mend a bridge in relationships with people around you, even in this room right now, for the sake of unity, for the sake of the cross, for the sake of this community. You know, I had a funny wee story um, last week. Uh, Nicola was wrong, just, just once. She's only been wrong once. And we were driving along in the car, and I was sitting there, and I was like, you know what? I can't be bothered with this whole, you know, to and fro. And Does anybody else, else have this where you go to and fro for a few hours, you're kind of pushing to see who is the most stubborn and who will say yes or no or who will say sorry first? And I'm only telling this because it's the only time I've done it, so it's not the big up or anything. Do you know, and I sat there and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to say sorry because I cannot be bothered with this today. I think it was the night we went away from my birthday. I was like, I cannot be bothered with this today. I'm really sorry, Pat. And I meant it. And it broke something down within five seconds. And the reason I'm telling that is because sometimes when you're filled with the Spirit of God, there's times in your relationship with others in this room where you're going to have to say, do you know what? I'm sorry. Let's talk about this. I'm sorry. Let's rebuild that bridge. It's good to say I'm sorry. And so I believe relationships are going to change. It's going to change this community. Relationships that are based 
on the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified right at the center of them. And so practically, what does that look like? We can't go into it massively today, but it, it, it looks like this for me. It looks like being there for people, just like Ian going to see Jim today. It looks like being available for people that they know, do you know what, you're busy, but you will drop anything at the drop of a hat because you love me. It looks like seeing the best in people when they can't see it. It looks like calling things out in people that are dead or buried. It looks like creating moments with each other to create memories like we did yesterday with the men. It's all intentional. It looks like intentionally carrying joy and hope and love. And let me just throw something in there. If you're getting up at 5 to 8 to go to work at 8 o'clock and rushing out the door, do you have time to stop and to center your mind on Jesus Christ? And say, God, today, fill me with hope and joy and peace and love and patience and kindness. and Help me to carry your gospel through whatever I do. Help people to see that I've been with you. And I'm not talking get up and spend hours with Jesus, but this is a side note. We are called to get up and start our day and center our minds on Jesus Christ. We're practically called to know things about people that maybe they don't think we'll remember. To remember birthdays. To remember little things that they appreciate and love. And I know some of you guys have that down to a T in here. It's about remembering names. It's about appreciation. It's about remembering birthdays and special occasions. And I know I'm going all these um, practical things like that. But the reason I'm writing this down is because if I'm honest, I am rubbish at them. And this is actually one of my prayers, greatest prayers that I pray nearly every day. Is that God help me to notice things in people. Help me to be intentional with trying to remember names and things that make people feel like they're valued because I am really bad at it. And I know this is a part of kingdom culture that God values. And so my heart longs for this. And I want to do it. And there are so many other ways that we can do it by not taking offense. By when somebody says sorry, you actually put it to the side and lay it down and don't bring it up six months later. Do you remember what you done? It means that we try to remember the good, not just the bad. And we could go on and on. Bob Goff, if you haven't read his books, please do. They are amazing. Write it down, Bob Goff. He says this about the one, love one another's of Jesus. What is simple often isn't easy, but what is easy often doesn't last. He's calling us to be with awkward people, easy people, hard people, funny people, not so funny people. He's calling us like the disciples to be a band of misfits that is going to take patience and endurance and love for us to become united, to show Jesus Christ. And he says, goes on to say this, I think Jesus said these things because he knew we couldn't love God if we didn't love the people he surrounds us with. Simply put, we can stop waiting for a plan and just go love everybody. There's no school to learn how to love your neighbor. Just go to the house next door and do it. No one expects us to love them flawlessly, but we can love them fearlessly, furiously, and my favorite part, unreasonably. To others looking in, the way we love and forgive and respond should be, oh my goodness, why on earth? How, how does he do that? How? How do they do that? Did you not see the way that that man just spoke to him as he delivered the sofa? Where are you, Jason? 
and you respond in love and kindness and a smile and joy in your face. He's conveniently not here for that wee jibe. There he is coming in. You can listen back on the, on the thing, Jason. We are to unreasonably love one another. And the key here is that you can't love people that you don't know. And so I encourage you in this space this morning, if you don't know someone, I want you to go over afterwards and ask them their name and get to know them. Because if you don't know each other in here, how can you be united to know one another outside where you're going to affect the community with the gospel? And so we are called to be at peace with each other, not to grumble with each other, to be of the same mind, to accept one another, to not devour and consume one another. (laughs) Sounds good. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Be gentle and patient and tolerant. Be kind and tender-hearted. Bear and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil with evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess your sins to one another in accountability. To love one another, serve one another, tolerate one another in love. See that word tolerate? Greet one another with a kiss of love. That's my next step, Andrew. No? Hugs are enough. You'd be glad to know that's contextual. Uh, I remember the first time I went to my dad's church in Tenerife, this Greek man came up to me and uh, he went, and I thought that was it. But then he pulled my head down and went on top of my head and left slabbers coming down my forehead. And so he took the Bible literally and you'd be glad to know it's contextual. So please read all these verses in context. Context is king. And so we are to give preference to one another, to honor one another, to regard one another as more important than yourself, to serve one another, to wash one another's feet, to be of the same mind, to be subject to one another, and to clothe ourselves in humility to one another. If you want a copy of that sheet, I can get you one. It's very clear in the Bible, the key to the kingdom coming in in our communities is unity based around Jesus Christ crucified. And so we're all familiar with the teachings, the books, the podcasts on how to grow in your individual walk, but very little do we hear about unity, about oneness. And John Bevere tells a story of a Navy SEAL friend. He says, I have a friend who is a member of these elite warriors. After pondering the unity of the church for some time, I decided to contact him. I knew the SEALs were a close band of brothers, so I wanted to probe deeper. And I called him, and first, my first questions were this. How do SEALs view and interact with with one another? How do they produce such a tight-knit community? And his first comment to me was that the last person a SEAL thinks about is himself. We value our brother next to us more than ourselves. We never have to cover our backs because we know our SEAL brothers will. We think of ourselves as one body. He continued, as Navy SEALs, everything I do is for the sake of my brother next to me. We believe this is the very core of our being. We are trained not to think as individuals, but as one unit. And if you start to read the Bible, it's like the Navy SEALs were based out of the New Testament. Ephesians talks about the armor of God. We don't have armor in the back because obviously Christ protects us, but actually we're to protect one another. We're not supposed to, like Neil preached about last week, stab each other in the back. And so the key is thinking of other people higher than we think of ourselves. It's revealing God in our relationships. And you know what? Everything is better in unity. Who would have thought that Neil Dawson would go back to the gym? But you know what's key for Neil Dawson? 
the key for Neil Dawson is that he is the most competitive man in Northern Ireland. And so Joe and Nicola said, I bet you you can't go to the gym. And I bet you you can't keep up with us if we do a class. Cha-ching. Neil Dawson is in the gym. And Neil Dawson is trying to beat his sister and Joanne. And it's all because of unity and competition. But that's not a biblical principle, maybe. And so everything is better when there's other people around you pushing you on, rubbing you up the wrong way to test your character, saying, well done, or saying, actually, you need to maybe tweak that a wee bit. Everything is meant to be better in unity together. And so it's not about numbers. It's not about size of your church. It's not about the the numbers that you have, but it's about unity. Think about the Spartans, one of the, the most feared armies in the world had small numbers, but they knew what it was to think as one, to move as one, and to watch each other's back. You can watch the film 300 if you want to know more about that. Don't watch it with your kids. And so the devil, he wants to distract us. He wants to divide us. He wants to divide and conquer. But I'm calling you this morning to put all these things aside and come together as one. Think about this way. What are you looking to leave the next generation? What inheritance do you want to leave the people that come behind you? Do you want to leave something that's strong and solid and based on a firm foundation and is flurrying and changing communities and changing lives and bringing fullness to you? Or do you want to leave them with broken bridges, scandal in the family, bad attitudes, beliefs or customs that just don't work, but you're doing them just because it's always been the way they've been done? I want to push new boundaries. And I want to leave my kids something that I could never even dream of. And so we are the workers and we're told that the harvest is plenty. But the workers, I feel, are so distracted with everything else that they're missing the point of unity. We're distracted by others. We're distracted by our own fears. We're distracted by the world. We're distracted by our new iPhones. And so he wants us to dream and strategize together. And do you know what else? In unity, he wants us to have fun doing it. He wants us to have fun thinking about how we can reach Rich Hill. He wants us to have fun and be creative with how we can give people hope. Philippians Philippians 2 verse 1 to 11 says, Look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the Anointed One. You're filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You've experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So in response to that, I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with, wait for this, one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. As we walk in harmonious purpose together. It fills the Father's heart with unbounding joy. As he looks down, think about, it, think about looking at the kids. He looks down at us and goes, my goodness, you had every right to get offended, but you chose to respond according to the cross. Well done, son. I love it when my kids get on. My kids don't get on very often, the two big boys. But I love it. I love watching when they come together and they strategize. And on Minecraft, when they build a tin house and a drop-in and then a church in that order. 
don't know what Minecraft is, you can look it up later on Google. How many of us would love to say that the love of God is what controls me? It's the very essence of Jesus living within me that controls my patience. I have his patience. I have your patience. Oh, flip, I would love his patience. I have your love. I have his humility. I have his ability to forgive. And really that should be the normal in the kingdom of God. And so that living as Christ, it rests around around your view of the cross and in turn your view of how he loves you. So his sacrifice and his death actually means that we die to ourselves. As we give our lives to Jesus, it says that we are crucified with him. We die with him and in turn we are given new life and a new mind. And I wrote down here, we're all out of our minds. Literally, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are out of our minds. He gives us a new mind, a new way of thinking, a new perspective that it is your choice to engage with. And I want to be out of my mind with you. Does anybody else want to be out of their mind with me? We're not talking about a new drug. We're talking about Jesus Christ crucified. That leads us to a new way of thinking. And this morning in the context of what I'm saying, a new way of thinking about each other. God's view of us needs to be what the Bible says about us. And so... The truth is, the more time you spend with someone, the, more har- the harder it is to love them. Anybody find that true? Do you know why? Because you start to see little things that irritate you about them. You start to see habits that they do. You start to resent one another. And you go to their home and see that they've got one of those new, what's that iPod thing you've got with the music coming out of it? Andrew, I want one of them. Why does he have one and I don't? But the fact is, We are called to do this together. And without Jesus, it becomes very easy to get annoyed and ticked off or to not forgive or to envy or to dislike or look at them and go, you're different than me or you're the awkward one of the church or you're the one that I find it hard to speak to. But actually, we are called with the cross of Jesus Christ at the center to put all that aside and go, do you know what? For the sake of our community, we are called to love one another. And an indicator of this, an indicator of Jesus Christ living within you is that you no longer look at someone in the flesh, but you look at them from a heavenly perspective. And I'm nearly finished. And you know, there's people in this room even that they need you to look at them. And they need you to look at them from the heart of the Father in heaven and not for what their house or their husband or their wife or their family or their friends or their neighborhood tells them that they are. You need to look at them and go, do you know what? Everything aside, I want to look and I choose to see you as Jesus sees you from a heavenly perspective. And I want to call that out in you above all else. And so Bob Goff says this, we're supposed to just love people in front of us. We are the ones who are to tell them who they are. We don't need to spend as much time as we do telling people what we think about what they're doing. And so I've got a five pound note because that's all Nicola allows me to have in my pocket. And so if I have this five pound note and I tell you that the last time this was used, it was used to feed a homeless person on the street, bought them a subway. What do you think of that? Isn't that pretty good? 
does it increase the value of the £5 note? Any kids here? If I told you that this £5 note, the last time it was used, was used to buy a hit of heroin. You probably can't get heroin for £5. I'm not too sure these days. I've never done it, by the way. Uh, I was to tell you it was used to buy heroin. What would you think? Does it change the value of, of that note? If that was used to purchase a prostitute for the night, does that change the value of that? So why then as Christians, when somebody walks through that door, do we look and go, I know what you're, you've been up to. I know the reputation that you have. I know the past that you have. And so those transactions in your eyes devalue the person when really in the eyes of the kingdom, the transaction never changes the value. It retains the value no matter how battered or how torn apart, it retains the value and it can be cashed in at any time. And so I don't care where this has been. And really most of us in a worldly context don't care where it's been because we're going to use it to buy something. So no matter what the transaction, they have the same value and we are not to devalue people. And I believe this is one of the keys to unity is how we value each other. And let me tell you this, I am as big a failure in this as anyone in this room. About how I value people, how I treat them because of maybe what I know or how I respond because of what I know. But for the sake of this village, for the sake of the kingdom, entering in and for it being as in heaven as it is on earth, we need to get this right as a people of God on mission. And so when we start spending time with each other, we soon realize that you're just the same as me. You have the same habits. You have the same failures. You have the same fears. You have the same, same desire for love. The same desire to be accepted. The difference is we all express it in different ways. We all respond in different ways. We all need it in different languages. And so this is my challenge to you today. Church is that in this place, first and foremost, we get it right. To move from ordinary people to extraordinary people, we get it right in here. Because if we, on a, as a family on mission, if we can get it wrong in here with one another, if we can't live honest, authentic lives in here with one another, how on earth can we do it in the community? And so that's my challenge this morning. And I want to finish, you want to stand to your feet. I want to finish with a verse from Romans as my prayer over you this morning. And this is a verse that um, Neil read out over us on Wednesday night. And it says this, I'm going to read it from two translations. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Passion it says this. That word together, Neil told us, is the word. Say it again, Neil. Homothamadon. This word homothamadon doesn't just mean together. It means raging passion for oneness. Raging passion for oneness. There's a couple of Balamina folk here. Get the word right. Raging passion for oneness. And in the Passion translation it says, a unanimous rush of passion for oneness so as we go out of here this morning father i speak those words of life over us that you would call 
compel us, push us, thrust us forward into a place of unity, intentionally making decisions, intentionally having mindsets that you will have us unanimously together with a rush of raging passion for oneness in this building, in this church, in these families, in the friendships and everything that goes on in here from a Monday to a Friday. God, will you bless it? And will you help us to be intentional? Will you help us to know things about each other, Lord, that we value? And God, we ask that out of this, this family and out of this building, that your spirit will invade so many homes in Rich Hill. Pray that in your precious name. Amen.